0: How many of you remember this sound? Right, you remember that? Some people. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, we didn't have the internet, but we did have phones that had these rotary dials on it, and it was so frustrating when your girlfriend's number had too many numbers that were in the seven, eight, or nine, or zero, because you would, you would, you would dial, you only had to dial uh, seven numbers back then, but you dial it, and it would go, (laughs) and they had a little resistor on the thing that you couldn't push it faster. Like you'd think you'd go fast, and then it would go, no, it wouldn't. It was like, you let go and it would come back. And and the waiting, you know, you want to talk to your girlfriend, it just took forever, but it didn't feel like it took a long time. Now, you can just go, right? Waiting is something that that we resist because our our culture is trying to encourage us that we can have anything when we want it, as soon as we want it, as soon as we can think about it. I told you guys uh, recently about, I think I mentioned it, the new Amazon phone actually has an app that will, if you turn it on, which is kind of scary if you turn it on if you know everything it does. So I'm not going to tell you everything it does. Just tell you a couple of things it does. You know, Amazon wants to sell you things. So what Amazon does is, they, they don't even want you to worry about searching for anything you might want. If you have your phone on and you're watching TV, every commercial, every product, it, it can sense everything that's in the room with you and it will order things for you. It, it will, uh, if depending on the settings, it will ask you, do you want me to buy that for you? Do you want that song? Do you want that whole album? Do you want the seven albums before that album was released? Uh, do you want that TV show? Do you want the series? Do you want the first uh, episode? You know, I mean, it's amazing and it's scary <laughs> that if there's people in the room with you, it, it interacts with people. It identifies everything around you. And like our whole culture is designed to minimize waiting. But I want to read a verse to you and then then look at the whole psalm. It's a very short psalm. But there's a psalm that says this. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That really pushes back against this Cultural sort of aura that we live in that we don't have to wait anything, that waiting is bad, that, that waiting is something that keeps you from getting everything you want. And what God says to this in this psalm, and this was a song that, that, that God's people would sing as part of their uh, worship. And the first part of the, the psalm, uh, has, it, it tells us why we should wait, actually. And, but at the end, there's this word from God that says, wait on me, wait on me, and because if you wait on me, I will show up. I mean, that's a, a colloquial way of saying it. God, in this psalm, it, it builds to this point where God says, if you wait on me, I'll show up. I will be real to you. It's a beautiful psalm, and I, we don't have time to go into every detail of it, but I want to read it to you. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to sort of unpack it, because there's, there's at, at least three things that the psalmist says that are reasons why we should wait on God. And I want to unpack each of those just briefly. So, uh, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He lifts His voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, Lord, we, uh, as we read this, this prayer that your people have sung for centuries, for millennia, uh, we lift our voices along with them to you and say, Lord, show us that you're our refuge. Lord, show us that when we wait on you, you renew us. Show us, Lord, that you're, when we wait on you, we learn you're bigger than our problems. Lord, show us that when we wait on you today, you show up. You make yourself real to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first three verses, it says he's our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help in trouble. And this this psalm starts with a confession. So it starts out saying, God, you're our, our refuge and our strength, our present help in time of trouble. And so it you know when you're in trouble sometimes you don't feel like asserting that God's there with you and that he's your refuge because you don't feel like it and these first three verses take poetic language and it's the kind of language that can cover anything and everything that we could be going through he says uh... we won't fear even though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea and the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging he's he's, he's showing He's giving them a picture of just chaos all around them. And he's using images that, that might relate to them. Of uh, water and mountains and the earth. You know, when, when things around us are really going haywire, it's like nothing is stable anymore. And there's a storm. And, and the, the pictures that this passage evokes help you to to realize that... God's a refuge even from that. And so he's saying, if we wait on God, we can experience that He's a refuge for us no matter what kind of trouble we're in. That He's actually a refuge. But it starts with this confession. Now, the, the trouble with waiting is, right off the bat, just like making a confession that, that that's true about God is not always what you feel inside you. Just like waiting is not something you feel like doing. Uh, you know, we're always waiting for someone to bring something to us, or we're waiting because other people are uh, you know, slow. We're waiting for uh, unforeseen circumstances. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And what waiting does is it challenges a couple of things in us that we're, that we're pretty comfortable with, actually. Most of us are comfortable with our own self-reliance. Until you get into a situation where your self-reliance can't handle the, the chaos that, that you're sunk into. And our self-reliance has value, but our self-reliance can be a kind of idolatry where I don't need God. And even followers of Jesus are commonly trapped in that kind of a mindset. Uh, I, you know I joke with people that, you know I'm the phone call of last resort. <laughs> That when when people finally have given up and they can't get anywhere with whatever they're struggling with, they'll call me. But really, God's the phone call of last resort a lot of times for us self-reliant people. And it's not only self-reliance, but waiting challenges our sense of control. We have a kind of control that we exercise in our life that's so much a part of our lives that we don't even realize how much we're doing it. And it all comes from us not being rightly related to God. Like, for example, and this is, I'd say this is a universal sort of a struggle that we have, is we dress up ourselves in not just, you know, how we dress, but the kind of car that we choose to drive, where we choose to live. Uh, when, you know People who live in this side of town, we have a choice, largely, where we choose to live, don't we? Uh, when we used to live in the Ohio State campus area, people lived around the Ohio State campus area and South campus area because they couldn't live anywhere else <laughs> because the houses were messed up and cheap and your income is a determining factor in where you can live. Well, if you have lots of income, You have lots of options. Now, I'm sure that there's people up here who can't move into certain areas because the homes are out of their price range. But we have a lot of control up here. And the way that we present ourselves to others is our way of controlling people and trying to get and manipulating people and trying to manage our image so they'll like us, so they'll think a certain way about us, so we can get things from them, so we appear. To them, the kind of people that they respect and whatever, and the truth is it's you know we 're afraid of letting people know who we really are we We, we all are to some degree or another it's it 's part of our lives. we struggle with letting people know who we are because on on one level who we are there 's aspects of our character that are not very attractive, but there 's also aspects of our character that are that are you know noteworthy and and commendable but the other stuff gets our attention and we try to dress it up and people are in this constant battle with the other people around them it's a kind of a quiet battle where we're trying to get people's attention we're trying to get what we want and waiting on God is the opposite of that because waiting on even waiting on God you have to stop trying to get from God what you want And trust Him to give you what you need. Because at a certain point, waiting is like, okay, I have to just rest in that God knows what's best for me, that He knows everything that's going on in my life, that He loves me, that He's completely committed to me. And and as I wait on Him, I'm trying to wait in that place where I can learn He's my refuge when the world around me is just going haywire. And... At the end, he says, he says God's our refuge and we won't fear, even though all these crazy things are going on, and when you wait on God, you discover He's your refuge. But you won't discover it without waiting. And it seems sometimes, uh, most of the time, counterintuitive to wait when things are going haywire. But we don't oftentimes take God's counsel on what's the best course of action to take when things are going haywire. We just assume we know what to do, and we can work it out. And if if waiting becomes a part of your life, you'll be surprised how you do come into God's counsel in those situations. But it requires waiting. It requires being willing to be still. Like that verse says, be still. The Hebrew word, one of the ways it's translated it means stop. Stop. Now, you can't... It, it, you know, I read the psalm to you, and you probably can't remember all the details of it, but this is a psalm that gives you a sense of... This was written for people who were in the middle of some turmoil. And I don't know about you, but when I'm cooking, and I turn around, and there's a, a, a grease fire on my stove... I don't suddenly just become tranquil and calm and just go, oh my, look at the beautiful flames. I'm going to get a hot dog and put it on a, a, a something and cook it. I start freaking out, you know. I start wondering, where did I put the fire extinguisher? What do I do with this? Should I throw water on this? Should I not throw water on this? What do I do? You know, you, you just get agitated. When you press into waiting on God on a consistent basis, and that's the challenge, a consistent basis, you begin to realize that God, like all the people in this, that God is He is available to us, He's a refuge to us. And there's even some spatial terms here, and I'm going to show you in a second. As you go through this psalm, where the psalmist takes you and places you in different Positions and different points of view to think about who God is, and it it kind of evolves as and develops as the psalm unfolds. But he says, "We don't have to be afraid." Well, when there's a grease fire in my house, I'm afraid. That's a natural reaction. But if you know God as your refuge, because I've been I've been around people who are really comfortable in the kitchen. They've seen a lot of grease fires. And when the grease fire goes up, they just turn and look at it, they reach over into the cabinet, you know, take something, throw some uh, flour on it, they, you know, spray it down, boom! I've been around a couple of people when that's happened, and I just go, wow, I'm glad you were here. You knew what to do. Well, when we wait on God, we, we can begin to have that kind of poise. And it isn't like we won't... The goal is for you never to have... It's not that you would never have any fear. It's that you won't be conquered and mastered by your fear. Okay? Now, we get this peace of mind from this. The second thing is, if we wait on God, or we wait on God because He renews us, He says, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. Now, he's Jerusalem. If you don't know about Jerusalem, just simply, Jerusalem was a city that was on a mountaintop. Okay, now it's not a mountaintop like the Alps, but it's it's a couple of thousand feet up. And if you don't know anything about rivers, rivers are in low lying areas, and on mountains there's there's not rivers. And all the cities in the ancient world, the great cities of the ancient world, or not all of them, but most of them, were, were situated near a river. Because that river became a source of all kinds of benefits. Well, Jerusalem didn't have a river, but it did have a spring that's it, still there. And this spring was very famous because it was the, it was the source of water that, that they depended on when when Jerusalem would come under siege. Now, we as believers, because we follow an unseen God, our lives are not situated by a river, but we have a spring, the Holy Spirit. The spring comes up. God's presence comes up. And when we depend on Him, when we learn to rest in Him, we begin to experience His presence as a spring that renews us. And when I say renews us, it grows us. It changes us in ways that we can't change through our own effort. In the key to growing, and this is something that, that I think most, uh, everybody, everybody's experienced this, but it isn't always something we understand. The thing about waiting is waiting in prayer is part of Our conversation with God. But most of us only understand prayer as a one way thing. We talk to God. And we do get benefit from that. But the richest benefits come when we talk to God and then we listen and we wait. And you have to cultivate an ear for God's voice. And if you invest in time waiting as much as you do in talking to him and it really is conversations that aren't 50-50 are aren't very you know helpful conversations generally unless you know you're asking for advice from someone but most conversations that have to have a relational aspect to them require like a you know it's close to 50-50 back and forth now the truth about who we are is your identity forms in dialogue with others. When, when you're growing up, you don't know who you are. You discover who you are in dialogue with your family, your parents. Do you understand it? You get that? that? They see who you are and they encourage you and they love you and, and they invest in you and they listen to you and they talk to you and they recognize the strengths in you and they try to uh, draw them out and, in, and invest in them and help you develop them. And in that relational context of dialogue, your identity is formed. And if there's a vacuum, we draw our own conclusions. And then unfortunately, a lot of times we go out and we try to find people who will tell us who we are. And the problem is, most of the people that we ask to tell us who we are, they don't know who they are. They don't have a clue. But what God tells us is, if we listen for His voice, He will tell us who we are. He will settle that. His word becomes the foundation of our lives. It shapes who we are. And it begins to change us. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 12. He talks about the renewing of our minds. that comes in communication with God and communion with God. But if we don't wait on Him, that doesn't happen. And you may you'll you find when you begin to spend time waiting on God, you think I don't think I'm hearing God's voice. You will slowly begin to hear His voice, and it's like sitting in the a, a, on your porch on a foggy morning. If you sit there long enough, as the fog burns off, all of a sudden there's shapes off in the distance of you know some form of something, and and you might be familiar with you know, the, that scene, so you know what's there. But all of a sudden, you see there's a car there or something that you didn't expect. And as the fog burns off, you see the contours of the scene clearly. Well, as you wait in God's presence, you begin to hear His voice. You begin to sense His presence. And what starts happening is your heart starts changing because you begin to sense, God, spe- He's speaking to me. And He draws your mind to this, and it draws your mind to that. And I don't want to talk that much about the practical part of this right now, but if we don't learn to listen to God... Shoot, I forgot something. <laughs> Jason, do me a favor. Yeah. I have a, a, a... In my office, there's a photocopied sheet uh, like on the right side of my desk. Just bring it out here for me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, the, the change part that we so desperately seek in our lives... The change we need doesn't often come quickly. Just like most of the, most of the parts of your life that, that you feel most comfortable with and that are the most commendable and that, that, that people approve of the most are qualities that developed over quite a long time, right? Think of anything in your life that you feel proud about. Can you think of anything that, you know, one day you just sat down and decided, I'm going to learn Chopin today. You know, it, it didn't work that way. I'm going to master the flute this afternoon. doesn't work like that, does it? Think of, think of your character and the time it takes. I mean, if you want to be a weed, it only takes a week or so. But if you want to be an oak tree, it's going to take years. And when you sit in God's presence, one of the things that happens is you begin to encounter Him and what He's really like, and your heart begins to change. And it's this quiet, slow change. But you start finding your appetites and your desires just shifting slowly but surely and becoming something that you never thought you could ever achieve. Jay's got like 40 different papers. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, I had a really good illustration that I photocopied this morning and forgot to bring, and it, it, and it was a young man who just described how, as he waited on God, he realized that he could be patient with people that he wasn't patient with before, that he had he desired things that he'd prayed for many times to have a desire a good desire towards. He saw all these things in his heart just begin to be different. But it happened gradually over time as he waited on God, just consistently waited in God's presence. And so we wait on God because He's a refuge. His presence renews us. And at the end here, it says, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He's brought on the earth. Uh, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Then he repeats himself again. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And when we wait on God, we begin to realize that he's bigger than any problem that we have. There's, There's no problem that you have that he's not bigger than. And he talks about wars here. But he sandwiches the end of this psalm with the same phrase the lord almighty is with us the god of jacob is with us now in the beginning of this psalm god this psalmist uses four different titles for god it starts off with god as our refuge and it's a hebrew word elohim you guys ever heard that word before elohim it's the first word in the bible where it says in the beginning god elohim and, it, and it's a plural. In other words, El is the word that's, that means God. And Elohim means he who is more than one. And it's a, it's a weird contradiction. And one of the ways it's a plural, a singular plural. I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm describing it quite accurately, but like, it's like a bunch of grapes. There's not just a grape, but there's a cluster of grapes. And it's a picture of God saying... I'm a community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so it starts off here. It says, God is our refuge. Then it says, the Most High. So it begins to describe what God's like. This God that you're waiting before, He's this God who has made you for community. He's this God who's the Most High God. And His presence, though, The Most High God, His presence is here with us when we call on His name. And we experience His presence with us. And then he goes on, he says, the Lord Almighty is with us. And the God of Jacob, so there's the Elohim of, of Jacob. The Lord Almighty is the Lord of armies. So he says, the Lord of armies. When you're in a war, you want the Lord of armies with you. But he doesn't just say the Lord of armies. He says the, the, the Elohim of Jacob, The Elohim, the God of Jacob. And he's talking about something very specific. So, first, the Lord Almighty is God. Is, he's the God. It, 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 you can look at it two different ways. He's the God who has armies with him. Vast armies that are focused on protecting and fighting for you. Or, you could say, He's the God who's greater than all the armies. And depending on the context, it it could mean one or the other or both. You know, you can decide here, but he says the Lord Almighty is with us. Now, this is where the spatial part of this comes in. He says God is our refuge, and it's a picture of us being surrounded by God right? Then he says here, the Lord Almighty, this God of armies, is with us. In other words, he's on our side. He's our ally. Then he says the God of Jacob is our fortress. And the God of Jacob would, for for a Hebrew, would, would draw to mind all the stories about Jacob and how God was intimately connected with Jacob and loved him and cared for him even when Jacob was not, you know, necessarily uh, a very exemplary person. Just like us. There's many times in our lives where we fail the standards that that God's called us all to live according to. But God was still with Jacob and He is still with us. Now the thing is, this, this God who's the Most High God, these two ideas of God are are brought together. God who's the Lord Almighty, the the Lord of hosts, and the God of Jacob, who was just right there with Jacob. Like, in the nitty-gritty of Jacob's life, God was there. And it's this picture that he's trying to get across to us is he wants to be real to us. And the story of Jacob showed... At different times in Jacob's life, Jacob would just open his eyes and God would be there and it would surprise him. He would have these revelatory moments where God showed up and was close to him and and real to him and was actually like seeking him out. And there's so many times in our lives where we're talking to God and talking to God and talking to God and we're not stopping and waiting and just listening to him. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to open his heart up with you and share himself with you. But it's, it's a relationship that requires some quality time. It requires us listening. It requires us quieting ourselves. It requires us letting go of control because you can try to be quiet to get God to do what you want. But you can't really accomplish waiting on God that way. You have to be willing to say, God, I surrender everything to you as a, as a way of life. And I believe you know what's best for me. And I'm going to wait on you and listen to you until you meet me. And I'm going to do it just because it's, it, you, you're, you're, you deserve this time in my life. You've given me all this time. And I use it on all these sometimes very vain things. And sometimes you use it on good things. But you know the good as the saying goes, can be the enemy of the best. The good that you could do in your life is not always what God wants you to do. It's not. We're supposed to love God first, and our neighbor is ourself. But so many times we're, we're over-involved with our neighbor and we can't love our neighbor the way we should love our neighbor unless we love God and we experience his love for us. Because that's the spring that sustains us and that, and that shows us what real love is like. We love others because he first loved us. So we have to commit ourselves, if we're going to show love to our neighbors, which is really important for us as followers of Jesus, we have to commit ourselves to to sit in his presence and say God I don't have you figured out at all I don't even know what I need right now but you do and I'm going to wait before you and listen to you and let you just do what you want to do say what you want to say work on what you want to work on and I'm going to invest this time in you and you you know what it's like saving is no fun at all just putting money in the bank is no fun at all it really isn't Because you put the money in the bank, and you know, I could be spending that. I could be having fun with it. And it doesn't seem like much is happening, depending on what you're putting your money into. But over time, the, the magic of compound interest and investments begins to show up in the bottom line. And you begin to accrue this increasing balance in that account. But it's hard to do it. It's no fun. But over time, you begin to see this change that happens with your finances because little by little, you invest, and you invest, and you invest. It's the same way. It's the exact same way with being quiet in God's presence. Uh, He says, be still. This This is the final little reminder and practical part. He says, be still and know I'm God. Now that word, know there, is a, is a Hebrew word a lot of us have heard. It's, it's part of our sort of vernacular now. Uh, if you ever saw the Seinfeld episode where they used the phrase yada, 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 right? And uh, or yada, I guess yada is probably better because it's the accent, it's always on the last syllable. But uh, our Americans, we say yada, yada, yada. Just like, uh, like in Texas, we have this river called the Rio Grande. But in Ohio, it's called Rio Grande. All right, okay, I kept, when I first moved here, I kept telling people, no, it's Rio Grande. They go, no, it's Rio Grande. And I go, uh, no, it's, it's, it's Rio Grande. And they're not talking about the Rio Grande in Texas. They're, you know, the, 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 the Grand River, the Great River, you know, the Ohio River, I guess. I don't know, it took me a couple of years before I realized, these people want to call it the Rio Grande, okay? <laughs> You know, it was the Southern Ohio folks that just didn't want to say it the right way, but we, we all have little weird ways of saying. It, but that word yada or yada, it means to know, and it has two main uses. One is with respect to God to know God. The other one has to do with sexual relations between a husband and wife, intimacy. Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. It means this intimate, deep union and connection that God wants us to know him, not just theologically in a second-hand way, but he wants us to know him face-to-face personally. And so he says, be still and know. Now, he's just saying to you, just to, to, to close this teaching, he's inviting you. He's saying, come and see my works. Come and see that I'll be your refuge. Come and see that I will renew you and change you and grow you. Come and see that I'm bigger than all the challenges in your life. I want you to know that. So you don't have to be afraid. So you don't struggle to try to fix your life on your own so that you don't beat your head against the wall of these huge problems that you're facing. But if you develop and cultivate a life of waiting on Him, you begin to know what he's really like. You know that he's the Lord Almighty. You know he's Elohim. You know he's the God of Jacob. Now, we know him through his son Jesus. When when the psalmist would use the God of Jacob, everybody had their gods. And the, the, the communities all around Israel, every territory had its own tribal deity. And so people would say, the God of this person, the God of that person. But they were, they were not the Most High God. They were spirits that masqueraded as the Most High God. And they provided people something and protected them somewhat, but they enslaved them. And you could see the, 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 the corruption in these religions and what they did to people and what they asked of people what they demanded of people, how women were treated and men were treated and babies were treated and other people. But the God of Jacob called for not human sacrifice. The God of Jacob called for honesty and integrity and love for your neighbor and your enemies. The God of Jacob was a particular God that the people knew was different than their gods. Because the Jews said there's only one God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus was from the lineage of Jacob. He was from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. And Jesus came along and said, everything you knew about God, you can know personally through me. If you put your faith in me and you follow me, you will know the God of Jacob. He will be real to you through me and through a relationship with me. But they had to to forswear their tribal deities and their idols. And we do too. And there is a kind of renunciation of things as we wait on the Lord. Do you understand what I mean? Your self-reliance, your control, your self-will... All those things have to be surrendered as you wait on the Lord. But what happens as you do that is this rich exchange starts happening that is so subtle and so rich. There's times where as in most mornings I'll try to spend some time waiting on the Lord. I start with my head being really busy and distracted and, and you know thinking of all the things I need to do every day. And then over time, it's like the distraction slowly settles down slowly settles down, then I become aware of the Lord's presence there. And then the dialogue starts and, and the voice just starts speaking, sometimes very clearly, other times really quietly. But I come out of that and I, I just go, wow, my mind is so still. My perspective is just so sharpened. Things in my heart have changed. It's like, what was that? That was great. But, you know, when you sit there for half an hour quietly, you don't realize how long a half an hour is. When nothing's going on, it feels like a long time. But all of a sudden, it just things just shift. It just shifts. So if you're going to practice the Lord's presence, I want to encourage you this week, every day this week, you need to do four things. If you're going to wait on God, you need a time... A place, a posture, and you need God's help. So you need a time. Start in the morning. Do it at lunch. Do it right after dinner. Do it right when you go to bed. But give God a chunk of time. You may think, I don't know if I can discipline my mind 15 minutes, John. We'll start there. And every day, just give him 15 minutes, and try to give him the same 15 minutes. If you do it in the morning, or at lunchtime, or after dinner, or right before you go to bed... Try to get some regularity because habits form and, and then they support the habit, you know, continuing. Secondly, a, a place is you can't do it typically in a place that's noisy, okay? You, you, you can't do it. You have to find a place that's quieter because the distraction outside you will uh, amplify the distraction that's inside you, okay? Because you're, you're going to find, even in a quiet place, there's enough inner distraction to make it hard to do this. So that time and the place are important. Third, a posture. Sit down. Relax. When you begin to wait on the Lord, just, just fold your arms, close your eyes, and take some deep breaths and relax. Many of you don't know how tense you are. And when you try to do that, you start realizing, wow, i got a lot of tension in my body. Especially if if you're if you're trying to do this later in the day, you've had all kinds of things happen that you know you've absorbed and you're carrying with you, and it's going to take you a little longer to decompress in God's presence. That's why my my suggestion is you you do this earlier in the day. But some of you aren't morning people. I get it. Uh, But if you're if you're a morning person, you will find this will be a great benefit. So get in a posture, sit of relaxation, take deep breaths. And even even to this degree, where as you breathe in, say, Lord, I'm breathing in your presence. Every breath you breathe in, say, Lord, I'm breathing your presence into my life. In faith, I'm just waiting for you to saturate my soul with your presence. And then last thing is, it's real simple, just ask God to help you to do this. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, but you will not do this on your own. But if you ask God to help you, He will give you grace to do it. Like the night before, write, a, write a, uh, like a, a, on a 3 by 5 note card and put it right beside your bedside and say, uh, just write a prayer. God, help me get up tomorrow morning and, wait, and spend some time with you. And you pray that prayer out loud. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, help me to get up tomorrow morning and spend some time with you. And if that really is your heart intention, He will help you do that. I've had lots of people who've done this little test with me and people have, the next day have Facebooked me and said I woke up like 15 minutes early this morning after I prayed that prayer and like my head was clear and I spent some time with God and it was so cool I thought this was like I had the white it, you know I had to try God wants to help you to do things that are good for you that, that please Him that help you so take this home, and even go back over this psalm and, and read it, Psalm 46. Read it again, but remember the be still and know that I'm God. He will be exalted. He will be lifted up. When you wait on God, He shows up. When you wait on God, He will show up. So, let's pray for a minute. Let's just wait just for a second on the Lord and just see if there's anything He might want to do in the way of you know, prayer, meeting needs, speaking to us. Uh, and I'm going to open it up here, too, after I finish, after I pray and just give us a minute or two of waiting. If God gives you a prophetic word or a picture or a scripture, I want to open the floor up just for a second. We don't typically do it this way, but I, I, I feel led to do this. Uh, that you just stand up and say, I think the Lord's bringing this to mind and share it because I think that God's going to speak to us. Uh, We're going to make some space for Him and I think that's that's how He likes to work. So, Father, uh, we turn to You right now and we want to calm our hearts before You and just take a moment or two and listen to You. We ask You to speak to us. We ask You to move among us. We just clear this space out for You.